All right, crew, how are you? You know what? I've been thinking a lot about what's going on in the world and what's probably going on in your lives, just what our family has gone through. And have any of you all thought about how do I think about it when life doesn't feel like today in the present doesn't match the future that that I feel like either God promised or that God was leading me toward because we get hit with all these, you know, adversities. And, um, you know, we've talked a lot about resilience, but sometimes, you know, it almost sounds like a platitude, right? You got to go through the valley to get to the mountaintop. And, but sometimes you're in that valley, like, you know, I'm really tired of being in the valley. And I got to tell you over the last six, seven months, we've had some big peaks, but had some big struggles. Just sometimes just even walking down here to my office was a chore. And I knew I'm doing great work and I'm working with clients. And I got to tell you, I had to really work hard in prayer and with friends and in my community to really reconnect, I think, to my vision, my purpose, who God made me to be, why I'm doing what I'm doing, to reconnect to that energy. Because I guess the noise and pressure when I got into my own head was just really pushing me down. And as I was really thinking about this, a friend of ours from uh, many of you guys are familiar with the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, the PCCI community and Chris McCluskey um, said, hey, you really need to talk uh, to Sherilyn Decker because this is exactly what she's doing, the kind of coaching she's doing. And she just wrote this amazing book. It's going to be coming out soon on this topic. So Sherilyn, welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Thanks so much for that beautiful introduction. It's nice to have a community of other people who um, can just speak life into you. And I'm just honored for the connection that Chris made. Yeah, me too. And so just a little bit of your bio here, Sherilyn, speaker, writer, coach, and we're going to hear about what uh, your story and what actually what moved you into that, because I think it's really going to be help uh, interesting. But in, in the neat thing is we have a lot, uh, almost half our audience or more are women, and which I love. And that is your focus. You've helped hundreds of women take the struggles in their life, the adversity they've gone to, and actually turn that around into a source of strength. And I like your philosophy is that when we face our challenges, we can take back control, triumph over them. And I know when you're not busy helping other women just become awesome warriors, right? I love that. I love that you use that term warrior because you are. Uh, you're married. You spend time with, uh, you're here in Denver near us, but we need to get together. And you like tea and not coffee. There you go. A little fun fact about Sherilyn. Uh, My wife's the same way, by the way. She hates, she loves the smell of coffee. But does not, you know, only when she really needs caffeine will she, uh, after it's completely doctored up. But we're kindred spirits in that way. Yes, I enjoy the smell coming from the coffee pot, but man, I just prefer tea. So I hope we didn't alienate like half of the audience here. Well, all of our <laughs> British listeners uh, love you right now. We have a lot of listeners in Britain and India. We're actually being listened to right now. I believe it's at 162 countries. That's fantastic. Which is so cool. So welcome, everybody. 80% of our listeners are here in the U.S. But let's do this. I would like to maybe take us back a little bit and kind of lead us through the journey that led you into what you're doing now. I can't say that I was looking for it. 
I got a phone call. It was a very cold day in February. It was the last Friday in February, I remember so clearly. And I had been a consultant for a little while when I left the corporate world. And I got the phone call that completely shattered my life. And they said, I'm sorry, Sherilyn, your position has been eliminated. And I felt sorry for the poor guy that was stuck giving me that phone call. And I collapsed in my chair. And when I had tears streaming down my face, and I realized in that moment, we lost 60% of my family's income because I was the breadwinner. We were living outside of Washington, D.C. at the time. And that area is required for us, at least a dual income. I had a law degree. We were still paying that off. We had a normal size house and 60% income loss was a huge hit. And I can tell you that was the biggest trial that my life, my marriage, and even as a person I had ever faced. You know, and that's not the only one we faced. I lost my dad to cancer, and that was a very difficult road. But losing my job, there was so much of my identity tied up into what I did and not who I was. It shattered my confidence. My faith was really shaky. I was frozen in fears that I'd never had before. I had anxiety. What froze you in those fears and they created this anxiety? I would say it was the, what was going to happen? Like, I remember thinking, now what? How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to get through this? How will we make our ends meet? I mean, there was tons of financial stress. And then I wondered whether, then the voices started to come that I wasn't good enough for providing for my family. And it was the voice of rejection that says that I wasn't a good enough mother, that maybe I should have been a stay-at-home mom. There were people that spoke that over me, that that's what I should have chosen instead of being a, a marketplace mom. And it was just that place of just feeling like you talked earlier about being in the pit. I mean, I really did hit the bottom and I'm sitting there like I was not expecting this. In some ways, I can look back and see signs of you know, the company losing their financial stability, and maybe that might mean that I was going to be laid off, but I didn't fully understand the impact that that was going to have on us financially. I remember staring at Quicken, which is our money management software, right? And it's red. I mean, it's red for months. There is no hope, but God's math is different. God's math says <laughs> that he multiplies, and he multiplies in a way we never think. I love how when he describes the Exodus and he says that they left with, you know, they had plundered the Egyptians. They left this place of slavery and not if one feeble was among them and they left with provision. And I was like, Lord, leaving this place, which was essentially a wilderness for me, a, a place of, of bondage. I just, just didn't realize that until looking back that I didn't feel like I was taking any treasures from the enemy's camp. I kind of felt like I was stuck in the middle of this wilderness for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But I'm just, I mean, I can report to you that things are different. I mean, I'm not that person anymore. My confidence is restored and my faith is completely unshakable. There's very little that can come into my life right now that rocks me. Yes, I've, I, I can relate to that, but it's, 
a very long journey of just putting one small step and stringing them together. You know what it makes me think of, Sherilyn, when you say that is uh, in the scripture where it says, you know, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And I was sharing that with somebody once and they showed me this picture and it's a, a little boy holding a lamp and he's in this scary dark forest and the lamp is only showing that little bit of light. Now, God knows exactly where this path goes, and it really looks scary to us. The only thing you can do is see one or two steps in front of you. And, you know, that is a place that you have to learn to abide in, a place of trust and a place of faith. And when I was forced to actually, or when I came to the realization that it's not about me doing it my way, it's about joining God in His will and following him in that. But for me, that was a hard transition, I got to tell you. And you said uh, when we were talking earlier that it was, you know what, you got laid off. What year was this, by the way? I got laid off in uh, 2013. Okay, so I, I can understand that, right? So there, 2013, we came out of 2008, we had started to have a recovery, and then things kind of dropped back down. The labor market was hard, so I could see that. But you said, you said something really interesting, and this is really, I think, a period of time I'd love to talk about. It was six months after you got laid off. You get invited to go to a Labor Day barbecue. You probably throw together your, what do you bring, by the way? What's like that one thing that you always get asked to bring? Do you remember? I don't remember. That is a great question. I will have to think about that. I have no idea. I do know that um, that family that hosted that always would put a pig on the rotisserie. And so it was a pig roast of sorts. And okay, they're here I in think, Colorado, right? They, they are not. I wish I could introduce oh, us. Right? <laughs> no, this was a family that I knew back in, um, in Virginia. And they were a mix between my friends that I knew from work and then friends that I knew from church. This person um, that I, that who hosted it worked at the same place that I had worked um, when I was in corporate world. Yeah. And so, yeah and a woman so came up to you and shared something to you that was really powerful. Could you, could you she share that? Did. She did. It was probably the moment that I realized so much had changed. Hmm. She began to say to me, Sherilyn, I recognized your form, but not your countenance or not your substance. So she sees me coming in with my, you know, and this was seven years ago now. So my, you know, a little bit more than toddlers and we're walking in with our lawn chairs, right. And our, whatever our salad or dessert was, and we're coming in in the hustle and bustle of all of that. And she used to work with me on my staff. And so she was a direct report to me. So she knew me very well. And she says that to me. And so I knew that such a transformation had happened in my spirit, that it had now transcended to my physical appearance, that it was so obvious that whatever I had walked through, I had come out on the other side refined. And so when the Bible talks about the refining fire, we rarely ever do we get to see that. But when you've seen somebody walk through hell, if I could use that, then they come out on the other side with this shining countenance. It's the representations of God's glory on our life, that he has done some amazing heart transformation work. And that six months of when I lost my job in February to September Labor Day, was such deep heart work that, it, I mean, it was painful, John. I'm not going to, I mean, we talked about how that journey is not fun to get to that place of abiding and trust when we want our way. There was no my way in that. It was complete and full surrender. Mm. 
as you walk through that, because I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to share for that, but for people right now just listening, going, okay, she's better, she's come through this. Those folks that are like right now going, okay, I can identify with that feeling where I've lost my job. I don't know how to make ends meet. Uh, my identity was just torn away from me. And they're in that spot where you were, you know, before you really jumped into this journey. What words would you speak into that right now for either some of us that are in that spot or I'd be willing to guess a lot of us have friends that are in that spot. And I would encourage everybody listening. I was telling Sherilyn uh, before we started, one of my good friends is really struggling with mental health just because of this, right? The disconnection from community, the uncertainty of the economy. This is something that he struggled with in the past and has really gotten a hold of. And this has spun him in into a new place, which is not good. And there's so many people around us, if it's not us, Right. If you're going, well, I'm in a good spot. I would love for everybody to listen in a way so we can go actually just help some of those people around us who might be putting on a mask to let you know with a big smile. It's so because you probably did that, didn't you? Everybody that came up to you, your coworkers, your law school buddies, you and they're like, How's it going? You're probably like, you know what? We're gonna find the next thing. Rock on, like this is awesome. And you're thinking in the back of your head, like, who am I kidding? There is a difference between the what we tell our inner circle and what we tell those who are on the periphery of our lives who don't necessarily get the permission to be that close to us. And that's okay. Now it's not a lie. It's okay to not let everybody in to the broken pieces while it's still sharp and you're still shattered. It is okay to only trust that brokenness with a very small number of people. And in that season of my life, there were three women, three people, that God was just like, okay, this is it. These are the ones that come inside of the trusted circle who are allowed for you to completely bear your rawness because not everybody can handle the mess. Some people are friends only when they're like, hey, how you doing? And you pass them in the hallway and they're like, they only want the we're good answer. I'm okay. Things are great. They're not the ones that can handle, they are not the ones that can hold up your arms like Aaron and her. We need the people to come alongside us in that season, in that place that know how to be the right kind of encouragers. Because Job had a few. He had a few that were just like, we don't know the answer. So we're going to throw all kinds of platitudes at you and they're not going to work. I had plenty of that. And so it was just a matter of discerning. Or I'm going to find a way to judge and blame you for your you know, the other thing that I found too in this too, this, this was hard for me having going through some tragedy. When I had my accident, I had some friends that it was really hard for them to see me. I was different, right? Over that two-year recovery that I was in the hospital, I had to learn how to speak again and walk and I'd lost vision. And I mean, I was, you know, I had brain injury and I had some close friends that stopped coming by. I had other people that became some of my closest friends, but I got to tell you to this day, that still stings a bit. Some of those folks that I really thought I could let into some of that, like you talked about the broken glass and you know, they're like, yeah, I don't like messes. Right. And it's finding those people who can help you not just sit with you in the mess, but help you clean it up, which is really powerful. And so when you asked me, how do I speak to that person who's in this place? I can just tell you to turn off everything else and tune in to what God is saying. 
And that means finding a promise from God of what he says about your circumstances right now, because the God Mm -hmm. has several names for me. I needed to know him as my provider. I needed to know him in a way that had a tangibility to it instead of like knowing in my head, but not in my hands and feet that he was my provider. Cause we taught stewardship, my husband and I, we knew the verses. We just didn't have undeniable proof in our own life. And when you, when you say tangible, what do you mean by tangible? That it's my money was going to last longer than my month, that we were not going to have to go through some really, not that it wasn't hard, but that when I can tell you, I will never forget when the Costco rebate check came and it was the same amount as my electric bill plus 10 cents. Wow. So, so like when God shows up in such a way that he knows you need provision or he knows that you need something and he shows up in such a way, never late, never early, I'm sorry to say, but he just shows up in such a way that you're like, that just has to be you, God. Who else does that like that? We had experience after experience after experience of God showing up in ways to provide for us in that season that I just, I mean, there's probably too many to document. And I definitely didn't take good notes in that season. Um, like I do now, but I tell you what, I, there was every promise of God that I had about him being my provider, about him taking the codfish lunch from this little boy and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with it. When you're looking at your money and you're like, God, I need you to multiply it. That is a testimony. And you're like, Hey, that little boy's lunch. I kind of need you to do that again. I need you to multiply what I have here. And then there was this beautiful verse in in Psalms and the address is escaping me where he talks about how what you have will not decay. And I was just like looking at my refrigerator and I'm prophesying over the food in there. Like, okay, you are not, you are going to live beyond your expiration date. (laughs) You are not going to go bad. I mean, just like your faith you know, it's testing out all kinds of stuff when you're standing on the promises of God, you know, and seeing what it felt like to be the disciples in the boat and knowing that the storm I was in felt so shaky. Yet Mm. right beside me was the man that I needed to speak to my storm and tell it to be quiet. He knew he was what I needed the whole time. I needed to take my eyes off of how I in my type A get her done type girl was going to take my eyes off of me and turn my eyes onto him because he was the one that was going to do it anyway. It was never in my hands. I was a steward of what he put there. And this was the season he was teaching me to trust him. You talked about taking the first two steps. Often it feels like skydiving in fog. Like, are you sure this is the right place I'm supposed to jump? (laughs) Are you sure this is the right step? I can't see anything. And he's just like, yeah. And you almost feel like in the fog, like you're about to slam into a mountainside. Yeah. Yeah. So that six months from like, you know, everything being ripped away to your friend seeing how your countenance had changed. Now, I know in, and this is really the reason you wrote the book, right, is this transformation, this gift, really this journey that God's walked on with you that you're now sharing. I'd love to walk through this framework because I, th- I think it's really simple and effective. And you call the book Roar Back, correct? Yeah. So share with us all what Roar, where where Roar comes from and how it became a framework. Mm. So I can't say that it happened in this order, that God just beautifully dropped that into my spirit until in the process of going back through the whole thing and, and in the process of this last couple of years. 
putting it all pieces back together. But ROAR is an acronym. It stands for R is respond. And I alluded to that a little bit earlier. And that's standing on those promises of God, finding out what they are. What do your circumstances need? And finding those verses and declaring them over yourself, putting yourself in that name that he will provide for me. You know, he will provide for me. And putting ourselves in those stories of knowing that God shows us these stories in the Bible. Hey, God, you use the pantry of a widow to pay off her debt. So mm. I kind of need you to do that. I need you to, to show me something that I already have to pay off my debt. I need you to show me how to take this lunch and multiply it to feed my family and they have leftovers. God, I need you to show me how you can put the money for the tax man in the fish, like weird, odd stuff. God, show me, do what you do and show me how to do this and trusting that he is my provider. So that's the first step of ours, learning how to respond differently, because what we want to do is in our situation, we want to panic. We want to get angry. We want to blame. We want to grumble and complain. We want to get worried and anxious and have fear. And all of that stuff happens. All of those feelings and those thoughts, they bubble up. But the Lord says he wants us to trust him, to do not fear. It doesn't mean fear doesn't rise up. It means it does, but we get to have a choice. And so our choice is to respond with what the word of God says. And that means we have to do our homework and we have to find it. And so that's the first R. When you struggled with that, Sherilyn, what worked for you to be able to kind of lean into that relationship with God, with Christ, Holy Spirit, versus kind of back into your own understanding and, you know, project out into the present? And because it's when I do that is when worry starts to flood back in. Yeah, he really had to teach me how to keep my eyes on him. And I didn't do it by myself. I had somebody walking alongside me, people who knew how to do this, who could help me. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because it's the DIY manual of how to do it yourself, how to walk through this in case there's no one around who can do it with you. And mm -hmm. so these women that God put in my life to mentor me in this season were like, what does God say? Who does he say he is, Sherilyn? Because he does not lie. If he says he's your provider, he's your provider. So let's find out what that means. And so it was me doing the work to kind of say, okay, what does God say about this? What does God say about my identity, about who I'm created to be? And for a very long season, it was about learning how to be a human being and not a human doing. And what does that mean? It was meaning having him rebuild who I thought I was. And that was starting by, no, you're my child. You're my daughter. And for some who have difficult relationships with their earthly father, that's difficult. I had a great relationship with my earthly father. He loved me and protected me and took care of me. And so I could tap into that. Well, if he says I'm his daughter, then that means he's going to take care of me like a child. Mm -hmm. And I had to see what that meant that I had to trust him like a child and know that my needs were going to be met. I tell my daughters all the time and they're middle school age. And I tell them all the time, don't rush to grow up because you have it really easy right now. <laughs> yeah. Just enjoy being in the place where everything is provided for you and that you don't need to worry about this, that, or the other thing. 
because it's when we get in that place where we have self-dependence, that's the lie of independence. My independence came from learning to surrender and be fully dependent on God. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that I was journaling yesterday and God brought me to the verse as I was thinking about this after a conversation I had with a friend in, in Luke 12. And it said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You know, things like that as we dig into Scripture and just spend that time with the Lord and actually say, what if that was written for me? Mm-hmm. This isn't just something in a Bible, a book that I read for, you know, some spiritual time. This is God's love letter to me. And I and then I go back and take a verse like this and rewrite it in the first person as if it was written to me. And I like Jesus calling the way that when uh, that was written that they did there and for me, I got to tell you, there's been times where I don't even know what's next. I'm stuck with ambiguity, but I know I can trust God. And that's what helps me just have the courage to take that next small step. Yeah. And that's such a powerful word. And it's okay to wrestle with God in that place of, am I really worth more to you than birds? And I remember my mentor saying to me, Sherilyn, God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. And if he needs to use one of those to sell, to give you meat, to whatever, he's going to provide for you. He's going to take out of his abundance and he's going to make sure that you have enough. I was just really learning how to trust him. And and part of that ROAR framework, the O talks about overcoming obstacles. That is realizing that there were things that in me that were limiting God's moving. And what I mean by that is there were things like... um, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. These were things in my life, fear, that were bubbling up, that were preventing me from stepping into all of what God had for me. And I had to learn how to build my faith in such a way that I could be offensive with it. And that's kind of what Roar is. It's the book that is named Roar Back because I want you to do something offensive in this season of you're, you know, sitting at the bottom of the pit. How can you be offensive and basically tell your circumstances to back off? That's the shield of faith. When we take God at his word and we say nothing can come against what God has said. God has said he's my provider. He's my healer. He's my, you know, salvation. He's my, you know, he's my rock, whatever those in the times of uncertainty, when we need God to be our rock, he's our foundation. When we're like, okay, God, this is who you say. That means when the lies of the enemy begin to come and whisper into my ear and tell me that I'm not who he says I am, that birds are more important than me, that he will not provide, that I'm not going to make it, that I'm a failure, all of those things, I can begin to say what the word says. And I can be offensive with my faith and push back on my circumstances in a way that unlocks the power of God. And that seems like, really, does it unlock the power for God? Yes, it opens up our posture to receive from God. 
when we're like, I trust you, I need you to show up. It's a place of surrender and we can let go and say, God, I'm willing to drop this bitterness. I'm willing to drop this unforgiveness. I'm ready to drop this anger that's holding me back so I can fully receive. I could have been angry at the company that let me go. I could have been angry at them, but you know what God said to me when that phone, in that phone call, he told me to tell them, thank you, John. I did not want to tell them. Thank you. I did not want to say thank you for just blowing up my finances and causing us to almost lose our house and giving any more marriage trouble than I've ever had. Thanks, but no thanks. I did not want to say thank you, but I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to be grateful. And I did not want to be grateful. And being grateful is a key. When we are grateful for something, when we are thankful for something, that's when things move. And God showed me this really powerful piece of scripture when he's feeding the 5,000 and it says, Jesus blessed it. He gave thanks for the provision. He gave thanks for what little he had and then it multiplied. And so if you need more of a breakthrough, then be thankful for what you have now and that will multiply. He says, if you want more, be faithful in what you have. Yeah. It's this concept of multiplication of you need more faith or you need more provision. You need more healing because it comes in layers. And what happened to me in that six month period of time, I'm a completely different person now, eight, you know, six, almost um, seven years later. Well, I love that you shared that. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, life like this accident that I went through and what I realized even afterwards, even though. God showed up at the accident, uh, Sherilyn, told me he was going to heal me, but it was not the way that I expected. It was this long, painful journey. And I was grateful that I was here. And I got, and this is what I would tell everybody, right? That I'm so grateful and I get to be a dad and a husband, but I was angry that I had to go through it. And what I realized is I was angry at God, but I was afraid to admit that or even verbalize it because of all that that kind of implied. And I was listening, we were uh, just in a Bible study group talking about strongholds. And we were talking about anger, forgiveness, bitterness. And what I realized is in that, God already knew. God already knows I was angry at him. And I got to tell you, so I went on my knees and said, I'm angry and I don't even know how to process this because of there's so much gratitude, but I also have this, here and I know that that anger and that bitterness, having had to go through this, is showing up in my relationships, my marriage, with my kids, and just talking to God about that and talking to friends about that aspect, which was actually really hard for me to admit, was the start of everything being to at this point, everything being reconciled, everything being restored, and not only just restored, kind of like Job made better, deeper, more awesome. And, you know, it's the I, refining I, process, right? None of us like yeah, the it's, stripping it's a process, and you know restoration. What? Yeah. hundred percent. And I would also tell people, you know, think about forgiveness. We got together kind of a, a men's retreat actually just a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about forgiveness and a couple of people had some struggles. I'm no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And I was sharing something and somebody asked a question. It was, it's something that uh, had been done by a church community to my son because of something that he had done, right? They, uh, 
he got a, a classmate pregnant in high school and he was expelled from his Christian school because they uh, broke the honor code by having sex. They didn't honor the fact that they actually chose to have the child, which was a much harder decision or, or it was in, in the right decision that they made. And I, I literally broke down in tears because I saw how much pain that brought into his life as a senior in high school being completely shunned and pushed out of a community and then shamed. And I realized in that moment, if you had asked me, because they did, do you have any unforgiveness? Like, no, I think I've dealt with all that. I'm all pretty good. And you know what? Because it was this amazing environment and God was present, he drew my attention to a place where I, I still had unforgiveness. And we dealt with it and we talked about it and we prayed about it. And I got to tell you, it was emotional. This was just a few weeks ago. So being in partnership with the Father, abiding, but also having people, you talked about you work with a spiritual coach and that's the work you do now. Having those people around us to help us gain those insights, maybe seeing something that we're not seeing, or we think, you know, we've improved. So we just want to maybe push some of those things down that those last couple things that we probably need to deal with, but we're, you know, in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, I've, I've dealt with it. I'm not, when I think about that situation, I don't feel angry anymore. So maybe I, I've come a long way. What I realized is deep down that, no, that still hadn't been resolved. And that was a big deal. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful to acknowledge that underneath the anger was something else was that was the core of the root. It was the unforgiveness piece of in that whole entire situation that a seed was planted of unforgiveness, that shunning, that shame that says, you know, you're not worthy, but that was something that Jesus purchased at the cross. And so to be able to be in a place where we can fully let him touch what we thought was anger, but really at its root, at its seed, was that unforgiveness, mm -hmm. was that rejection, was that, yes, we mess up and we're not perfect people and we're going to mess up a lot, but the perfect son of God came and paid that for us. So we don't need to carry that around. So if for those who are listening, if there's that root of unforgiveness, just give it to God and let him take it and let it begin the process of restoration and not just restoration, but like you were talking about restoring multiple times what the enemy tried to steal. When the thief has been caught, he must repay. And so that means that whatever we're walking through right now, as Romans 8.28 says, that he will use all things all things for our good, for those who are called according to his purposes, which you are. We're called according to his purpose. So that means every trial, every struggle, every failure, and I don't like failure at all. I mean, every possible mess up, God is going to use all of it. And what he does is he reflects himself and the work that he does in us. And this beautiful testimony that you have in front of these men of letting God do that work and having them see that refining happen in you is becomes a testimony. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so powerful about this roar framework is when we learn to see those lessons, that's what a stands for applying the lessons from our past season of realizing, Oh, look, 
there's this place of unforgiveness in my life. And as soon as I let that go, then God came in, he shined his light and he did this amazing work in me. And then we have a responsibility to share it. And that's the last R that's revealing our story to other people. That's what you just did right now in front of all of us. It's this, not just confession, but it's this place where we get freedom because of what other someone else has walked through. It's the way that says, I share my story with you so that you can know that God is a provider, that God is a healer, that he saved you from that accident. And you're able to speak powerfully into the lives of other people week, week, week after week after week on your podcast, through your own book, through your own coaching and practices. This is why we share our story. And Revelation gives us a key. He says that we overcome the enemy through the power of our testimony. So here this whole time, Mm -hmm. we have been able to set other people free by sharing our ickiness. We share our story, the mess that we've made of it, the light that God shined in it. And we take this transformation work that God has done. And we're like, see, see what he did for me. He can do this for you. This is when the testimony can set other people free. So when we hear the cliche that the word testimony means do it again, it really does. So whether it's a story from the man in the Bible or whether it's this episode from, you know, Eternal Leadership Podcast, if this is what you're holding on to right now that says, that's the testimony I want to hold on to, Lord, do it again. You did it for John. You did it for Sherilyn. Do it for me. And he will in his own way. Yeah, and I love what you said too. Is um, you know apply right? Apply also what we've learned in previous seasons. I'll never forget. I was working with Lance Wall now. He's an amazing guy, coach, and just spiritual mentor. You know what he had me do as far as the apply goes? He had me go and take a big, huge sheet of paper. You know, like the you know the three you know the big ones, like the three M ones used at a conference that you know for a business meeting that you stick on the wall. And turn it sideways. And I had to draw a line through the middle. He said, John, I want you to take from a spiritual standpoint, all the highs and the lows relative to each other. Why was this one higher than this one or lower than this one? And what was happening at the peaks and the valleys, the transitions, and all those valley times that have happened? Do you look back on those with pain? Is there brokenness that still needs to be healed? Or do you look at those? Have you transitioned to which we're looking at those as a place from equipping in proof of me being with you in those times? And for me, it, it was like this immediate transformation of some of those things being emotionally connected to something I actually saw as almost like these beautiful little gifts and treasure chests. Not to downplay in, you know, some of the significant trauma I know people have gone through. And I got to tell you, once I did that, and, and through like you talked about how faithful God has been, everything in my accident, our relationships, our finances, my health, all these things. And I think, you know, for those, you know, listening out there. So first of all, to connect with Sherilyn, it's C-H-E-R-L-Y-N Decker, D-E-C-K-E-R.com. So SherilynDecker.com. As we wrap up, let me let me ask you, maybe you can leave this thought with everybody listening. Um, if there's some folks out there right now and they're listening, and maybe they still feel paralyzed by what's happening right now in their life, they're afraid, uh, they have questions that they are desperately seeking answers to and can't find them, 
what would you just, as we wrap up and people have listen to this conversation, what would you share with some of those people that are right now in the middle of that storm you talked about? I would just remind you that Jesus is there. He's in that boat in the middle of that storm. And they had to wake him up. He was that rested. In the middle of the storm, he had such peace that he was taking a nap. That is so hard to imagine a peace like that when you feel like your world is crumbling. But he's right there. He's right there. You just have to ask him. And that's like, Jesus, I need you. Whatever your language is, whatever the thoughts are, he's, he knows already. That beautiful place that John was talking about that he got him angry at you. He knows our thoughts already. So we can be raw and honest and it's okay if, you know, if the bad words come out because he knows your thoughts. So let's just be real and honest and raw with him because he knows anyway and be able to say, I don't like this. This is, I'm afraid and ask him, ask him because he will bring to you. I cannot tell you the number of people that would show up to me and would give me my manna for the day. They would show up and they would give me the encouragement that I needed to keep going. Random phone calls. I just got this. I was getting, you know, struggling with something in the book. And I got this beautiful phone call from this gentleman who I had met in the last year. And he calls me. He goes, God put you on my heart this morning in my prayer time. And he sends me a text. You have a few minutes. And he prayed for me. And now I wasn't in a deep, dark pit. But I tell you what, I was discouraged. And God laid my name on someone else's heart. That's how much he loves you. He's going to lay your name on someone's heart and they're going to be praying for you. Or they'll come up to you and they'll give you an encouraging word or you'll read your devotional for that day and it will be spot on. That's who God is. And he's right there in your boat in the middle of the storm. You know, I love that. I just had a thought uh, because somebody just popped into my head big time as soon as you were sharing that. I'd be willing to bet everybody out there listening, if, if you just heard what Sherilyn just said, and somebody popped into your head, maybe somebody you talked to yesterday, maybe it's been 20 years. What if we just said, hey, there's a reason. What if you reached out to them just to reconnect, just to say hi, just to ask them, how can you pray with them? And you might be that one miracle, that one blessing that gives people the courage to just get through one more day or actually completely make a pivot and get back on the path toward an, an abundant life. I think that's happening right now. And I, I'd love to hear if you guys just reach out, even if it's a, what, a text, a phone call, an email, an instant message, you post something on Snapchat or Instagram for any of our younger folks out there. Let me know how that goes, because I'd be willing to bet. It's going to bless that you probably as much or more even honestly as them, because then you see the evidence, you know what? That was God working. That was the nudge of Holy Spirit right there. And he is here. He is with me. And that's just further proof, you know, that you're walking in partnership with Father. All right. With that, Sherilyn, thank you. This is what a great conversation. I'd love to have you come back on anytime. I think this is such an important topic. And I'm excited about what you're doing. I can just see so many people roaring back, having come through everything that we're going through right now, looking back at this season, this is my, my hope and my prayer, is to go, you know what, that is what equipped me for something I never expected. Like when you were a practicing attorney in 2000, what was it, you know, 11, 12, leading up to getting canned, <laughs> which is no fun, that happened to me once, you would have never envisioned yourself in a position as a coach right now, working with women, having such a profound 
impact. So back to Romans 8, 28, all things do work together for good. And in the present, it's a choice to trust that that is. And, and for me, having moved through all this, for me, that was the hope that I could always hold on to, that even if I didn't understand it, uh, but I could, I'm just choosing to trust God, that all this at some point is going to make sense. And every single time, without exception, without fail, he has showed me exactly how those things all work together back in those times I didn't understand it. And when I feel like that, sometimes in the present, I'm like, okay, God's going to show me. He's equipping me for something. He's building my character, right? You know, tribulations build patience. Patience builds character. Character builds hope. That hope, that hope of the Lord. I, I know that's a, what's the scripture reference there? I can't remember, but that's powerful. And that, that's the process that we're in. It's a refining process, like you said. So thank you, Sherilyn. This was awesome. Thank you, John, for having me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you more and your audience. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Uh, anytime. <laughs>